Uh, so have you thought about how to start this? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess we could you know we could possibly start here this yeah. this being a special crossover A Town FM Station 13 episode. Right. They the the big crossover event that everybody's been waiting for. The big crossover <laughs> event that we told nobody about. Yes. Surprise. <laughs> this this episode if we haven't already said is going to go on both of our feeds. Right. And so for those of you from Station 13 I think Danny is going to try to explain what my podcast is, and then I'll try to explain to our listeners what Station 13 is. Does that make sense? Okay. Good idea. I think this is going to be a challenge for both of us, because neither of our podcasts is really about anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will try to identify some of the themes that I have found in, in A-Town FM. Yeah. Or at least for you. For, for, I mean, obvi- I think that obviously the biggest one is is film culture, um, to the extent that you've actually spun out a whole other podcast out of that, right? The A Town, right? Is it A Town at the movies or A Town FM at the movies? Yeah, A Town at the movies, and that, those are like episodes specifically about a movie, right? Um, which I'm I'm glad you did because the the movie ones in A Town. When they were a movie that I had watched, I really enjoyed them. But because I don't watch nearly as many movies as you do, I found that there were quite a few that I had to skip over. Right. Yeah. I did not watch nearly as many movies as I do now. Uh, the podcast has definitely <laughs> helped that, which has been nice. Because right. once I had kids, it was hard to like find the time. But then yeah. having that sort of uh, impetus for it made it a lot easier to to make the time for it and that's the thing i enjoy yeah. so yeah i've i've enjoyed yeah, that for yeah, that reason what, alone yeah, that works out nicely i yeah. should maybe i should try and make a podcast for the, all the things i want to do more um, <laughs> although you got to be careful with that because you could end up in a mike hurley situation and start a pen show and then you're buying thousands of yeah, dollars in pens yeah. <laughs> dangerous um yeah what were you calling that getting in a gear hole get- <laughs> if, if you set up a whole uh podcast on gear holes then you're going to spend a lot of money on gear that is that would would definitely not be a wise idea actually while we're on that topic to cut you off from explaining our show yes i'm really glad that uh alex isn't on here as much as i would like to talk to him because oh really he has a strange tendency to make me want to purchase things yeah he describes things in such a passionate uh artful flowery way that like <laughs> I like watches, but I've always just been a digital watch person, even before Oh yeah, yeah. Oh watches. Man, I had not worn a watch for ten years until I met Alex. Yeah. When he described <laughs> I, bastard. I still remember <laughs> I don't remember the exact yeah. I don't remember the exact <laughs> words, but it was something about the way he was describing how a mechanical watch lives and breathes off of your body and the movement of your body is what makes it alive and that's what ma- and i was just sitting in the car <laughs> i was in a drive-thru like you know how you remember specific places where you're hearing things yeah, and i'm like yeah. i need a mechanical watch i need a like, watch i need now. one right yeah. now specifically an automatic watch if you want that experience but the uh the because the automatic one is the one that that actually literally gains its life from your movement right <laughs> yeah specifically it was the automatic yeah. watch and i knew those existed but like i don't know the way he described it it was just like what have you done to me 
luckily, uh, <laughs> the one I landed on liking, uh, I think you sent it to me on Twitter, actually, uh-huh. uh, ended up being like $75,000 or something. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have a hard time <laughs> not buying that. Oh, I should have sent you some. I think I know which one that was. That was the Rolex main phase. Uh, no, it was a Lang, Lang and... Oh, I can't remember. Oh, the Lang and Son. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, I like having the digital uh, face. Oh, yeah. And yeah, there's well, not a whole lot of digital face uh, automatic mechanical watches out there. And <laughs> No, no, but there is a Lang and Son. <laughs> well, and specifically, uh, I wanted the jump hour on there, you know? So mm. you, yeah. you see well, the time. If you're going to go that far, might as well... <laughs> Splash Take out. Take out a mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can't say the same for uh, fountain pens. I, I have two uh, pilot fountain pens sitting right in front of me now, thanks to you guys. Did you, are they both metropolitan? They're both metropolitan. I have a medium nib and a fine nib. I am honored that I was the one who got you into fountain pens <laughs> after Mike Hurley has produced, I think, over 300 episodes at this point of his podcast entirely devoted to pens. Well, but the thing about that is I'm not going to I'm not going to subscribe to a pen podcast on my own, <laughs> but you guys I sneak see. it in there yeah. and then you make it sound so fun. <laughs> and then you're talking about and then I had to get special paper and yeah, yeah that what ink did you get? Uh I just have the like pilot uh I don't remember what they're called, but blue black, blue. Oh, black. they're black, yeah. And black. it's it's just right. the cartridge. I didn't, right, I'm right. not yeah, using the, the converter thing. Right, I see. Yeah. It was cheap enough and I don't I don't write enough that I'm going through it that much. Like the mm-hmm. first extra box I bought, I'm I still have probably more than half of that left. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Well, especially with that uh media or the fine nib. The medium nib with the old paper that I was using, that was eaten up ink. That lasted like a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz the old the, is this with the sort of poor quality paper that kind of sucks the right. it just sucked it all in. The, yeah. 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 See, look at that. We're <laughs> we were talking about our podcast, and now we're talking about fountain pens. And now I like want to yeah. buy something. <laughs> fountain pens uh, are nice in that they're not too expensive. I mean, there are very expensive ones, but you can. It was definitely. I, I'm similarly. I got into the watches through Alex first, and and then got into the pens afterwards. And I'm still on my first watch. <laughs> yeah, I have well. not. I have not made the leap to sort of what you could call a collection yet with pens, <laughs> I've, I've got a few yeah i i'm more into the utility of things usually so if it's right a collector kind of thing then it starts losing interest for me yeah so i guess i should i should explain what your show is like <laughs> this is gonna be a fun edit i think we've already spent more time on my show than yours at this point <laughs> oh, that's probably true well i guess i'll give the quick description just so that okay uh Hopefully, if, if you like our show, and specifically if you like any of the culture-related stuff, I think you should definitely give Station 13 a listen. And specifically, I'll find the uh, I'll find the episodes and put them in the show notes, but there's two episodes that I would recommend if you like our like, culture episodes. And one is the very first episode. Really? Yeah. So, the, and I haven't listened to it since, so maybe there's like a quality difference or something, but the very first episode of your show sucked me in. And the reason is, so, Danny, you grew up in the UK, right? Yep. And then you moved to Japan after university or for university? I moved to Japan after I worked in the, I went to university, worked in the UK for three years, and then I moved to Japan. Oh, okay. And then uh, recent, well, especially like, it was like right after you moved, you moved to the US and then you started this podcast, right? 
Yeah, I, I think I started the podcast maybe nine months or something after moving to okay. no, seven seven months after moving to the US. Yeah, half a year after moving to the US. And then Alex, your co-host, he grew up in Australia, Adelaide, right? Yep. And then yep. he lived in China for a year or like studied abroad or something. He was in China for a little, I think it was longer than a year. I can't remember. I'm not sure how long he was there, but I, he was there for a, a while. Okay. And then he moved to Japan and that's where you guys met and yep. became friends. And then mm-hmm. actually it was a couple, it was a little while into the show. He moved to Sweden. He's in Stockholm now. Right. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so my favorite things in your show are ironically not the things I've talked about so far. It's like when you're comparing all these different cultures that you've lived in, like mundane things. Mm-hmm. And your very first episode, you were talking about getting a driver's license here. Right. <laughs> and then you went into a weird little tangent just about the process of getting a driver's license in different countries. And immediately I was like, all right, this is my show. Because <laughs> like, I'm one of those weird people who like is always looking for documentaries on like the fork or, you know, something. <laughs> I, I love like really, really mundane, boring, normal things. And then oh, you're in luck. We we do mundane, boring, and normal to a T. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's so much detail that goes in those things because they're so ubiquitous. And yeah, yeah, they are interesting, and everyone can sort of associate with them as well, right? Right. But then the slight differences are things that just completely fascinate me. Mm. And so that first one was the getting a driver's license and differences in driving, and then there's another one which I'll I'll find and link to where you. You guys went off on a long tangent on uh, Japanese business culture. The the lift etiquette, the lift exit, I think, was what we were talking about. The elevator exit. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you have to bow as you go through the elevator. Yeah. Like, it's the type of thing where I assume if you live in Japan, that's just that's just how things are. Yeah. I mean, I think, but it, I think it is one of those things that is sort of, yeah, if you've experienced it, you would recognize it and sort of see the humor in it. Like, it's not, it's it's recognizably funny. I think it's one of those people that things that people recognize about themselves. I'm trying to think of an example of something like that in America. Well, I mean, that's what a lot of stand-up comedy is, right? Right, it's right. Taking a, a really normal conversation, like or a event, like getting in an argument at or getting mad at another driver at a stop sign or something. Like, right. You know, com- that's what comedians do right. is they sort find of. normal, boring things. And yeah, like here, here's an example for for the UK, for example, which I think. I think a lot of English people um, would recognize. I'm not sure if it's something that... I think this is something that would maybe be funny to Americans, but I'm not really sure, which is, have you ever been walking along, just walking down a street or through down a corridor at work or something, and then remembered something that means you have to turn around? Like, you've, you've realized you've gone one... You know, you were supposed to... T- take the previous turn or you've gone too far or you suddenly remember that you had to do something have you ever in that moment taken out your mobile phone and looked at it so that you can pretend <laughs> that you had some reason for turning around absolutely <laughs> or or take like a, a weird detour just to just to avoid the embarrassment of like i think it's that sort of thing that you that, that is everyone sort of realizes is dumb but we all sort of recognized that is a thing we would do as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although I, I tend to uh, empathize a lot with like British comedians or I don't know if they're comedians, but like the Douglas Adams or like Stephen Fry kind of, uh, I don't know if they call it British, like 
standard British things that people do, but I don't know if everybody here does that, but I usually am like, yes, that's exactly what I'm like, like avoiding <laughs> conflict. Right, right. Like there's that, uh, I don't remember who it was. I think it was a Douglas Adams story about him being on a train and reading a, a book or a newspaper or whatever. And the guy across from him reaches into his bag of chips or cookies or whatever and starts taking mm. his cookies. And he mm. can't believe that this thing is happening. And so he reaches into the bag to be like, hey, these are mine, you know, and grabs a cookie out. And the other guy doesn't do anything. And then that guy reaches back over and they both just sit there and take each other's food or the other guy keeps taking his food. Mm. And then it isn't until, you know, the train stops or whatever. And he gets up to leave that he realizes his bag of cookies was sitting right in front of him the whole time. Mm. And so he was actually the one stealing it from the other guy. He was the one stealing the other person. But they were yeah. both too British to bring it up to each other or to get in a conflict <laughs> about it. Yeah. Funny enough, I heard that exact story, except it was donuts and it was on Twitter, and I've just looked it up, and you're right, there is a quote from Douglas Adams from a, a book or something called The Salmon of Doubt, uh, where he tells exactly that story, and it is cookies. Um, and so I guess the person on Twitter must have just stolen that story. Or Douglas Adams stole it from Twitter. But this is in, like, 1976. They didn't have Twitter. I No, I know. That, that was the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say the attempt at the joke. <laughs> Isn't... Douglas Adams is not alive, right? No, he died okay. b- before Twitter. Right, <laughs> that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> so, should we talk about Mastodon? Yeah. So that, that's, that's what we're here for. This, this whole episode is going to be about Mastodon. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the inspiration for doing a crossover episode in, in the first place, which was that we did an episode on Mastodon, Alex and I, and it was it sort of covered the basics and it was kind of an explainer because Alex hasn't used it and I have. And you also did a very similar episode where you were explaining Mastodon to Dan and I think you covered quite different ground from what we covered. So I feel like both episodes are worth listening. Like if you listen to either one and you're still sort of intrigued, then listening to the other one might be worth a shot. And if you're still not sick of it, uh, then you can listen to this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the the one thing that I, I think we didn't get to do, speaking with our respective co-hosts, was kind of go deep on, because we were so sort of, we were at kind of a superficial level explaining what Mastodon is. We didn't get to go into what the results of of those things, what the consequences yes, of kind of the decisions that Mastodon makes are. And... And also, I felt like, at least with Alex, I spent half the time, like, trying to almost defend Mastodon. Yeah. Like, I was having to kind of pitch it because he was a little bit skeptical. You're selling him on caring. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think you were slightly more successful than me, but I don't think either of us were very successful. <laughs> well, neither neither Dan nor Alex have an account. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess that speaks, speaks for itself. But- but because I was so sort of engaged in trying to pitch Mastodon, I actually have some concerns and things that I am I am not sure about with Mastodon, uh, which I didn't get the opportunity to to really talk about with Alex because I, I was playing the role of the the person supporting it, as it were. Right. So I wanted to talk with you about it because we we sort of are both using it, and I think we have a, a similar kind of level of understanding about it. So you know we can dive a little bit deeper, and if anybody listening is interested in that, then 
great. And if not, then we we are we might get a little bit technical. Um, if you get bored, we support chapters. Yeah. <laughs> so you can always skip this bit. And this is a special crossover episode, so you can deal with skip it. This episode if you really <laughs> like this is not going to change the, our respective podcasts going forward. Um, so we get to play about a little bit, I think. So what what do you reckon? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Let's just right off the bat then go right into the technical and give that that sort of baseline on top of our two episodes then for okay. what these differences are. So so Mastodon, basically a Twitter clone with a couple extra fe- features, but then the one big major differentiator being there's a whole bunch of different instances. I think we did explain that there's lots of different instances, but we didn't get to go into the different right. the different timelines at all. I don't think either of us did. Right, no. So there's three timelines, right? Right. There's your home, which is essentially exactly like what Twitter is, right? It's the people that you follow all showing up. Like what Twitter was. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Showing chronologically without random stuff interjected and currently at least no ads. Right. Um, And it's just the people you follow and then things that the people you follow have boosted. Right. Every, Every toot and every boost made by the people that you follow in order. Right. And that's what it is. And all the people you follow. So then there's one level up from that, which is your local timeline, right? Yeah. And this one is all of the people that are on your instance. Right. And an instance, I think, by the way, that instance is it is a terrible word. Agreed. It is one of the, one of the biggest problems that Mastodon has at the moment, I think, is its vocabulary. Yes. It's so technical. I, I don't know what's wrong with server. I mean, server is a technical word, but everyone kind of knows what it means. Yeah, that's a good point. There are other people arguing for, for more kind of Englishy words, which neighborhood. like neighborhood yeah. and community and things like that, which I, I can see an argument for. They are a little bit saccharine in, a, in their way, but... I, but I, I I think most people know what a server is, right? And an email server. You've got Gmail dot com or other email servers. <laughs> That's exactly what Dan said whenever he told me that he wasn't going to sign up. He said I lo- opened it right. up and looked, and then it got to this point where it was asking me to sign up for. He goes, "What is it? A bunch of servers?" Right. And that isn't a word that's written anywhere, but he inferred that. Right, right. That's the the natural word, right? Yeah. So so you choose so when you sign up to and this is this is another one of the big problems, which I think could could be made better when the migration story is a bit more filled out. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second. But you sign up to a server, and signing up to a server is no more of a commitment than choosing to sign up to Gmail or Hotmail or Fastmail or whatever. You can you can still follow people from any other server. But a difference with email is that your server or instance has this local timeline where everyone who is on your server is posting. And so it's like the, the kind of public square of your server. And you can see all the things that everyone is posting. And so if you pick a server that is well aligned with your interests, then it can be a very good way to discover new people and to to find new people that you might want to follow because they will you know they will toot something or or boost something and if the server is aligned with your interests there's a high chance that that what they are posting will be 
sort of something that you're interested in as well. Now, the local timeline, if if I boost, I'm on mastodon.social and you're on mastodon.social. If I boost somebody's post from, say, Toot Cafe, that does show up on the local timeline, doesn't it? Yeah, I I think, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I think your local timeline is essentially the timeline that you would have in home if you followed everybody that lived on your server. Everyone on your instance. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it, yeah. I'm not 100%. Like, the question you just asked kind of goes straight to that point. Mm. But I think I've seen boosts on local. Things from... I'm, yeah, I'm sure I have. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that is that is a really good way of putting it. If you followed everyone on your server, then your home timeline and your local timeline would be the same. Yeah, I, I think. The third level of timeline is the federated timeline. And this is the tricky one. Yeah. Do, do you understand it? I think it's the same concept as before, but layered on top of it is everybody that your server is federated with. And f- that is a whole complicated thing in it, in it of itself. But mm. I believe if you're on server A and you follow somebody on server B, by default then, server A is now federated with server B. Right. The whole server, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not just... it's The federated timeline isn't just showing the toots and boosts of people that are on your server plus the people they follow, I think. I think it's showing toots and boosts of everything, everybody in your server plus... Everybody in every server of people that from people from your server follow. Wow, I butchered that last part. <laughs> <laughs> this is the confusing point, and I keep on thinking I understand it and then thinking it's the opposite. So it means one of two things. We should look it up and clarify it. It means one of two things. It either means every toot that is visible to your server, which means all the local ones plus all the ones that would appear in the home timeline of anyone on your server. Okay. Either that, or it means what you just said, which is that the moment anyone on your server follows anyone on server X, that entire server is linked to your server and everything on its local timeline will appear as part of your server's federated timeline. And I'm not sure which of those things it is. Yeah. So the reason why that was my feeling on it, and I'm saying feeling because I haven't <laughs> I haven't really done the research to look this up, but people I know that have that have their own server, mm. they will describe the federated timeline as people that they follow plus their friends or something like that. That's usually the wording they use. It's like I'm seeing all the people that I follow, but I'm also seeing like maybe it's their friends as well or friends of friends and they don't know what that extra layer is. Mm. And in my brain, I sort of said, what's the technical explanation for that? Oh, it must be, you know, when a server federates with another server because federation is kind of conflating another term on the more backend side of this, right? Like a, a, right. a federation with, what is it, Activity Pub? Is that what the... yeah. That's the technical Protocol is uh, called. system that it uses. Mm. So like federation is a whole concept behind the scenes. And I think that has to do with like servers. I'm just using the word server. I hope that's okay. 
I mean instance every time I say it. That's that's what I've been doing as well. Yeah. So <laughs> servers' ability to talk to other servers, they like that is what the federation is. Is like those connections between the servers. I don't, and so I think the federated timeline is more about the servers behind the scenes talking to each other than it is about the specific followers. But that is my more me inferring what's happening. Yeah. Um, I I did intend to get a definite answer on this before we started recording, <laughs> and then I forgot what that answer was. It's definitely one of those two things. I can sort of imagine how implementation details would lead to either one of those things. Yes, right? I agreed. You know, if it's the first thing I said, then I'm like, oh, and this is probably how they do it. And if it's the second thing, then it's like, oh, and, and they probably do it this other way. Uh, and I don't know which which of those two things it is. But this is this is kind of one of the problems with Mastodon, I guess, is that it's it is much more complicated and confusing feeling than Twitter. Like, you know, we're both programmers who've spent quite a long time thinking about this and reading about it, and we're making a podcast about it, and we still don't know what that thing actually means and what it is. And so you can't expect a sort of person who's just new to the system to be able to understand it in this case though i'm not sure that it really matters i'm I'm not sure that it really matters whether you understand exactly the details of how the federated timeline works or not one way or another the home one is the is the exact people you chose the local one are the people from your server and the federated one somehow is much bigger and includes lots of other people that are on other servers and the details of how it includes them are not so important, I don't think, to actually using the server. To be honest, I think that the whole thing would be better off if that was like a hidden feature or something. Mm. Like, you know, if it's yeah. a thing that you can get to, but isn't in your face that it even exists until you're a sort of power <laughs> user or something. Because it's right. it's a layer of complexity that in an already complicated system, I think most people don't want to deal with and especially if you're on one of the popular ones right and you're one of the people that's just coming over from twitter and you're not you know a technical person who enjoys the puzzle of understanding this thing mm-hmm. it, those big servers it's just a mess anyway it's just flying by so fast it's kind of useless right right it's kind of impossible to read yeah yeah i think the the sort of home local thing are actually useful agreed features and and i think that's a nice thing like when you first come over from twitter you look at the home and you're like oh yeah i know what this is it's just a twitter clone and then you get exposed to the local thing and you're like oh this is an interesting sort of new idea and a new feature um and especially when the servers are of a a good sort of balanced size in fact i think the author of mastodon has floated the idea at the moment on the the search engine that you use to find a good instance that you might like to join uh, it it orders them by popularity. So you put in your interests and it looks for instances that you know might have people that are interested in the same things you are. And then it orders them putting the most popular one first. But he was saying, he was thinking of changing the order that it displays them in. So it tries to find somewhere that I think was around 750 people. And if there's... If there's more than that, it actually deprioritizes it, right? To try and balance it, to keep instances down to around that level. Because he reckoned that the the local timeline sort of remains 
the most useful in the instance feels the most manageable when it's got around 750 people in it. Yeah, that sounds right. I There was a bunch of... Whenever the, everybody was switching over and everybody was just talking about how Mastodon worked for forever, mm. I saw an article floating around that was from a little while ago. I'll, I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes, but I might not be able to. That was... It was talking specifically about social networking sizes and how at a certain size it like transitions from feeling like a personal space where you see people as people mm. to feeling like this mob of anonymous people. Right. And I, I don't rem- I can't remember where the number was, but maybe that maybe it was around 700 or something. Right. But I know there is research on this like topic. Right. Yeah. I think uh, Eugen, I think is his name. Yeah. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. He's German, right? Yeah. He's German. Um, and so I'm sure it's not pronounced Eugen, yeah. but that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I think he did cite some name or some piece of research that was the reason he had arrived at this number, which, okay. which I think yeah. was 750. I think one of the things with these these instances, another thing that that may seem minor, but the fact that you've got an address, I mean, the fact that it's got two ats in it is another story yeah. altogether. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> The fact that you've got an address makes it feel a little bit long. Like, when Twitter first came about, I never really imagined that news programs would be saying, tweet us at BBC News in their little, you know, Chiron things at the bottom or whatever. But that is the world we're in now, right? Where it is common for television programs to put hashtags and and at Twitter usernames for people to tweet to. And in this fantasy world where Mastodon becomes really popular... I can't see a full Mastodon address being workable in that scenario. Like to have a news program be able to say, send us your thoughts at X news show at bbc.social. Like it's, it just feels a bit too long and nerdy. Do you know what I mean? I agree. But do you remember when the internet was finally becoming mainstream and it was like, visit us, go to AOL and type into the keyword box, uh, you know, (laughs) <laughs> Disney Channel, blah, 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 or go to www.nickelodeonkids.com. Right. I mean, that that's kind of a mouthful, right. too. That's, yeah, yeah, that is that is true. It, it's funny you mentioned that. This is kind of an aside, not kind of, totally an aside, but uh, me and Dan are reading that Hatching Twitter book that's pretty popular, mm. and there is literally a, like, scene in the book where... Um, I think it was Ev Williams was, you know, in a hotel in Chicago about to do some press thing and he's watching CNN and he's like, Anderson Cooper is saying, follow me at, you know, Anderson, whatever his name is. And they're in the, in the book, it's just like, this is such an insane, ridiculous concept hearing a like news organization that takes itself seriously using these words. Right. 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 <laughs> when I'm reading, I'm like, that's insane. Like that was not that long ago that this all sounded like right. super nerdy. And it did feel insane. Like I remember the first time I saw it on TV, it felt like these worlds were merging in like a weird way. It's like, this is, you know, the fun internet world that I have inhabited since I was like 12 is somehow bleeding into <laughs> the serious adult world that I've seen on TV. <laughs> yeah. that. So you were, yeah, you were on board with Twitter earlier on, right? Fairly early on. Not, not in the early, early days. But w- you were using SMS? Um, 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The, my first couple of tweets, probably. But I think I mostly use the browser, but like browser on my computer because I had a phone. Oh, right. I mean, when I first signed up to Twitter, I had like a black and white Nokia phone. So. Yeah, <laughs> I looked and the account that I have now anyway, I created in 2010. Okay. And so that was like relatively late to the party. Right. And yeah. I, I want to think I had created one before that with a different email, but like even even in 2010 it was like none of my friends had it like i said i most of my friends were in like were business majors and stuff and so i was the nerd like reading TechCrunch and engadget all the time right. so i i knew about fail whales and the hashtag at like conversations <laughs> and all these things that like i liked this idea of them but mm. i had no friends to interact with on there and so I never really got on board until later. And for me, it was really just a transition off of RSS. So I feel like I had missed that 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 culture of early Twitter. Like I'm relatively aware of it. Right, yeah. Because it, it is a, a, a lot of people have said coming to Mastodon, and I feel like I was on the tail end of that early Twitter period because I joined in 2008, 2009-ish. And uh, a lot of people have been saying, you know, the Mastodon now feels like early Twitter. And it certainly does to me, partly because it's quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And Twitter was a lot quieter back then. Um, And also because it is mostly nerds. So yeah, it does have that feeling. And there is something fun about, you know, the early days of Twitter, like all the hashtags and app mentions and all that stuff, and even the word tweet, you know, they, those weren't invented by Twitter. Those were invented by the community. Right. And a similar sort of thing does happen with Mastodon. Like, although a lot of the stuff, like, because Twitter existed, there's a lot of influence from Twitter. And the the etymology of toot is not too hard to discern. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's there's much more of a sense of, like, we as a community are kind of making up the rules and the the systems and the ideas as we go and obviously Eugen apologies if I'm uh, butchering the name is just a guy who's doing this as his open source project which he has a Patreon for he's very open to ideas uh, and he's very kind of accessible like I see people that are just people that I follow that'll just send him a thing and say it'd be nice if it worked this way and he'll generally reply quite quickly and he'll say either, oh, that's quite interesting or, oh, there's a reason it doesn't. And here's the GitHub issue from two years ago where we discussed it. And so it's it kind of feels a lot more open in that way. Yeah, yeah. So it is a nice, it's a nice time to be part of it. It may yet all fizzle out and... Yes, we can talk about that in a minute. I still rate the chances quite high that it will, but but it's... You know, it's a nice, nice thing to to experience. Yeah, and it, along those same lines, uh, especially after this last surge that just happened of new people, mm. there is quite a few app developers starting to kind of jump in. Mm. And right, I have like I have way more betas in test flight than I think I've ever had right now, and uh, <laughs> all of those people are really engaging. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you have a thought, you can ask them about it. And it's like, like I really, really like the toot exclamation point uh, beta. That is definitely toot. my 
daily driver, if you yeah. will, mainly just because it yeah. persists my yeah. spot in the timeline. But all of them, it's like I I'm really enjoying this sort of it, it, like you said, it sort of feels like the community is shaping this this place mm. because a lot of them will say something like, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing," and it like clearly either violates a concept in mastodon or it's just a totally different thing Mm. and it would only really work inside of that app but it would be interesting to see Mm -hmm. and like seeing this big discussion swell around it and at first in my head i'm like you can't do that because it'll only work in your app but then i'm remembering right this is how tweetbot and twitterific like shaped twitter too right right and so yeah it has this feeling of like if this thing somehow survives it'd be really cool to have been part of a lot of these conversations that kind of shaped it. Right. Yeah. On, on two, one of the things that's sort of interesting and that I, initially I liked the interface for, although now I'm getting a bit frustrated with it on toot is the, uh, radial instance selector in the bottom right corner. There's a little circle you can spin round, right. Like fidget spinner, uh, to switch instances. Do you have you signed up to many instances and do you do you make use of that feature? Yeah, so that's that's an example of one of these things where they're sort of hijacking the fact that you apparently can just view any instance's local timeline. Mm. Yeah, without having to count on that instance. Exactly. So the reason I even came across it was um one of the guys in film twitter that i follow Mm. he moved over to mastodon and was trying to bring a bunch of people with him and he started a Mm. personal instance and Mm. set it up to where you had to get an invite or at least ask to be invited and the whole point was you don't have to be famous but you have to be like an industry insider in film so right right and it you know none of them are famous people because (laughs) they're on mastodon but (laughs) they're all people that are like workshopping screenplays or trying to um trying to like make it in in that industry in some way right right and so it's like this really interesting little community and it's a lot of random people i kind of knew but most of them i don't Mm. and when i found out that i could i could add that instance to my local timeline and toot but even though i didn't have an invite and i couldn't get in i can just Mm -hmm. at any time go over to their local timeline and just read it see what people are yeah. talking about and i've found a bunch of people that i follow now specifically because of that right yeah 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 it's definitely nice it almost feels like cheating <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know if i'm supposed to be able to do this right but but you are right they i think they have the choice to because there's there's much more granular privacy settings on on uh, mastodon as well so i think they have the choice of not showing it on the local time well so at um, least based on that uh admin on that server I think mm-hmm. they can choose to be private or not. So will they federate with other instances? Right. But they, they have to mm. federate if they want people to be able to talk to other people on different instances. But I think once that's the case, the local timeline for that instance is public now. So an individual can choose... Right, but an individual... What I'm saying is an individual tooting can can choose the visibility of the, of that individual toot as either public, unlisted followers, or direct. So that obviously that's a lot more granular than Twitter. But public means it will be, it will go up on the local timeline. It will go up on any federated timelines of, of federated instances. Uh, it'll be completely public. And unlisted means that your followers can see it, but it won't be listed on the local timeline right. or on any federated timelines. And so if if people want to sort of 
put something out that's just for their followers, but but isn't going to go on this local timeline, then they, they do have that option, assuming they've... Yeah, I think what people were looking for there was a way to post to just that server's local timeline, but that nobody else could see. Right. Which yeah. I don't... Yeah. It's, it's almost like they're, what they're really wanting is a private Reddit subreddit. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it's just not really the tool. Yeah. And Mastodon's already maybe stretched a little thin in terms of options. Um, at least at the stage it's at now. Right. But I can see why there's people that want that. I mean, it's already overcomplicated. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I am on, I have in my Toot app, 15 instances. Whoa. You have accounts on all of those or any of those or are they all? No, I've got accounts on two of them. Okay. So you have two accounts. Oh, and one of them, one of them, the server's down as well. Is that the podcast one? That's that's pod.social. Yeah, I noticed right after everybody joined Macedon, that one suddenly went down. Uh, it was really weird. <laughs> I'm um, guessing that it was just dormant. But then yeah. when everybody jumped over and maybe six or seven people joined, he got notifications and he's like, oh, crap, that thing's still going. I should right, probably close right. this thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that yeah, does highlight... Uh, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but that does highlight a like sort of concern of mine is this idea that mm. you're joining an instance and it's like, oh, find an instance that looks like it's a good environment for you. But like, right. you kind of need to understand who's running it and have this a trust with that person. Because... Right. Especially now where it's a very kind of indie thing where most of the instances, with the exception of a couple of Japanese ones... Most of them are not run by big companies, but are just people with like a server. Right. Handy. So there's Japanese ones run by companies? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple. Um, there's Pawu.net, which is run by quite a large Japanese company called Pixiv. Oh, I've heard of that one, but I didn't know that was a company. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's another one, uh, Nico.friends, which is run by Nico Nico Doga, which is like the Japanese equivalent of YouTube. So what's the reason for that? Like, what is the motivating factor for a company to put money into something like that? You know, honestly, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. I'm not on either of those. Those do not feature in this list of 15 instances <laughs> that I've somehow amassed. And so I haven't really got a feel for for the content on them. I mean, I don't know very much about Pixiv or Pawi.net. Nico Nicodoga in general have a very strong community. A funny thing about uh, Nico Nicodoga, if you've never seen it, it's like YouTube, but people can comment and the comments like scroll across the video like marquee tags. Like sideways? Like sideways, yeah. Oh man. And it's it's quite distracting. Let's <laughs> see if I can find a, an example for you. And the popular videos, the more popular they are, obviously the more people are commenting on them. And and I think these comments are timed. Like, I think if you watch the video now and like two minutes into the video, you make a comment. And then when I watch the video an hour from now, I think I'll see your comment come up two minutes in. Ah, uh, kind of like hearts on Periscope. Right, right. Exactly that sort of thing. Yeah. So I can imagine that just anything that strengthens that sense of community with Nico Nico Dolga, you know, they would like that. So I guess that makes sense. It's like having a forum. Right, right, exactly. And it's just, it, it keeps people within the sort of, the universe, right? Yeah. The, the Nico Nico system. Yeah, I I feel the same way about, like, 
YouTube or Twitch live streams. You know how they have like comments. Now those scroll vertically over on the side, I think. Right. But I find those like, do people look at those? Like I can't keep up with them. Right. And they're usually just like the most pithy of pithy comments that you could find. But still, it's like, it's very strange to me. Yeah. I've just, the first thing I could find was our Slack window. So I've just sent you a link on that. Uh, oh, there it is. All right. I see a cat. I don't see any comments, though. I wonder if it's only uh, showing me English comments, of which there maybe isn't any. Uh, that would be weird. So you're playing the video and there's no comments coming across. Yeah, I can see a cat walking around in a bed. Oh, yeah. yeah the comments started very early on for me, so... I suppose the site is all in English for you as well, isn't um, it? Like all the menus. Yeah, yeah. It is like localized in English, but all the like titles are in, well, I assume that's Japanese or whatever. <laughs> They're characters I don't know. I see the little smiley face character. Oh, that is disappointing. Let's look up Nico Nico Doga on YouTube. Find a... Uh... <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> right. Here's a bit of an extreme example. This was the, the Nico Nico Doga 10-year anniversary video. That's actually how it shows? Yeah. <laughs> what is the actual video there? This this was... I think this was their 10-year anniversary. So this was like a, a celebratory video that they made on their 10-year anniversary. This looks like... It, it looks like somebody uh, parodying Japanese... I, I don't know what you'd call that, but that, that sort of over-the-top... I don't know what word I'm looking for here. Like... What was it? MXC, uh, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Did you ever see that? Uh, no. My understanding was it was a Japanese show that was then dubbed over in English. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So anyway, that is, uh, there's a Nico Nico Doga comments. So that, what that really reminds me of is the Federated Timeline on Mastodon.social. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's why Mastodon has been so popular in Japan, ah, because yeah. they're just used to constantly being bombarded. <laughs> just flying around. <laughs> <laughs> you never saw, you never saw um, Ready Player One that came out this year, right? No, I still haven't seen it. The, yeah. There's a joke yeah. in there where they're like, we found out that, you know, the evil companies, like, we found out that we can cover up 97% of the viewer's uh, screen with ads without causing them to have seizures. <laughs> and it's just showing some insane looking thing. That's that's kind of what that looks like. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, so I don't know what they get out of hosting a Mastodon server, but they do. And, you know, I think there's a fairly good chance that, that those servers will stick around. Whereas all these sort of homegrown little instances, you know, made by just a person with with a spare server in their cupboard or whatever. You're right. There's no guarantee that that server will stick around. Yeah, like I've seen a lot of people complaining or, or very, very fearful of a Gmail, mm. you know, coming along and being the big bad person who takes over Mastodon because right. everybody ends up just creating a Gmail. But I think part of the right. reason people create a Gmail is because it's a it's a safe place like I understand the concerns about privacy and everything, but for a mass market, right, having a place you can go that is nicely well maintained, it is, you know, fast and reliable. That's like the most important thing to a lot of people, right? And it's probably not going to disappear, and you lose access to all your emails and the ability to tell anyone that your email address has changed because 
it disappeared. Exactly. And like to me, <laughs> the benefit of Mastodon isn't that a Gmail doesn't exist. It's that a Gmail could exist, but I can also still have my own personal email server. Right, right, and everything in between. Yeah, well, right, right exactly. Like, and 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 you can experiment with different options, like in the same way that Gmail uh, is funded by the wider Google organization as well as by advertising within Gmail itself. And Fastmail, which Alex and I both use, is a paid service where we just pay a monthly or an annual fee to use the service and there are no adverts. Those are different options and a similar thing may develop for Mastodon where you've got these little homegrown servers that people run. You've got some things that inject adverts into your feed if that's a thing that's even technically possible to do in Mastodon. I don't know if it is. But I don't think it would be terrible if it did. I think that would be a valid thing to experiment with. So long as you didn't inject advert into other people's feeds. Like if you're putting adverts into the federated timeline, then that's a little bit problematic maybe. But if you're putting it into people's home feeds or into the local timeline, that seems like a, a fair thing to do. And then it's people's choice whether to engage with your server or not, right? Right. I hope that they are they are building this with that in mind. Because if they want this thing to scale, and maybe they don't, but if they want it to scale, there has to be a funding right. mechanism that isn't Patreon, you know? Right, right. And, like, I feel like giving people the ability to privatize an instance and either charge people for it or or inject ads or something, as long as... If you have that in mind from the beginning, I feel like you can build in protections so that hopefully it's made in a way where they can't abuse that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know to what extent the main people who are involved with developing Mastodon now have that in mind in the sense of that it is a thing they would would want to do or want to see. But I hope they're not, like, just knee-jerk averse to it in the way that a lot of people are, Yeah, right? Like, there's a lot of people, at the moment you mention adverts, instantly it's a sort of... Evil. ...taboo subject almost. You know, and privacy is a real issue, uh, I think it is possible to do advertising without, uh, you know, all the tracking that that often comes along with it. Yeah, I think Marco Arment is a great like example of that with Overcast. Right, right? but I mean, his is a very specific niche because he's you know he's advertising other podcasts. But then you know, there's John Gruber as well, right? He has an advert. It's very traditional, but he has a website with yeah an advert. And he just has a sponsored slot and your advert goes there and it's not based on tracking or anything. It's just the sponsor knows the kind of person that reads his website and decides whether or not they're going to put their advert up there. That seems like a thing that you could do, right? You have a Mastodon instance. It has a certain feeling to it. It is a Mastodon instance devoted to, you know, tech people or to Harry Potter fans or whatever niche. And people who make tech gadgets or harry potter paraphernalia uh <laughs> choose to put their adverts in that instance's local feed like that seems like a model that could work yeah kind of like us kind of like reddit uses right like they have ads that are specific to the subreddit that you're on right right now i think they might do some sort of tracking stuff too because i've definitely seen cgp gray related uh ads in you know nintendo subreddit but <laughs> but even then it, that doesn't really weird me out that reddit knows who i'm subscribed to but you know what i mean like right yeah that, i guess that's what i'm saying it's like if you have this all or nothing uh mindset a you might choke this thing before it can grow mm. but you also might be creating a scenario where if you don't 
let up at all, then people just aren't going to care about you. Right. And yeah. And so then they just go the extreme the other direction. Whereas if you have this world in mind where there is a way to monetize this potentially, then you might be able to shepherd the community to grow in a certain direction. Yeah. But um and you might be able to control the way that that monetization eventually happens you know you've if you work with people rather than against them i think you've got a better chance of of affecting the the influence and the change right and the the environment that you want because this is all open so some big company if they don't if they don't see the community ever embracing them they could just fork off and create mm-hmm. their own thing yeah <laughs> and then you've yeah. lost complete control that's another thing i mean that some of these instances these personal instances as well an interesting thing which i don't fully understand the ramifications of but they will modify the code of mastodon yeah. before creating their instance right and so you get some instances where the character limit which by default is 500 characters veritable wealth of text it does feel standard. huge uh, <laughs> although i haven't found myself being annoyed but there are instances where they up the limit to 5000 and so you could you know you could write a whole blog post a large blog post in a single toot on those instances so that you know that's the sort of thing that that is interesting because then if that instance federates with a traditional 500 character instance what does the federated timeline start to look look like or if you follow somebody on that instance and you're scrolling through your feed and it's like all sort of two lines long and then suddenly you get this 4,000 word essay yeah i don't know how that's <laughs> dealt 4, with characters i have i've seen there's uh, another fork um i can't remember which instances do this but there's a setup where you have to approve all followers or, or something like that. I can't remember the specific, but it's like mm. an inverse of the traditional way that following works. And so every time there's a Mastodon update, they have to merge it in to theirs right? and then right. publish their new version. And I think there's multiple servers that use their fork. Right. And so it's this sort of weird... It, it, honestly, it kind of reminds me of early uh, Android where there was you know, a lot of different custom ROM flavors. Right. But then there'd be a fork of each one of those for the different actual distributions of phones. Right, right. And then somebody might use that as a base to create their own. And so you'd have these weird chains of upgrades. Right. Or even, you know, Linux distros yeah, yeah. on computers as well. <laughs> That's right? probably I mean, obviously more. Android is, is a similar thing. But, you know, this notion of you've got the core Linux kernel and then everyone builds their own system out of that and they've all got their own sort of little customizations and stuff. So did you see, um, there was a toot the other day, I think I boosted it, I don't remember, that it was basically a list of different projects being worked on that used ActivityPub behind the scenes. Mm. And so Mastodon is is like a Twitter clone using ActivityPub. Right. But then, oh, I just found it. There's there's one called PixelFed that is Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically, it sounds like it's almost mainly just a fork of Mastodon with tweaks to make it sort of replicate the feeling of that. And then there's one on here that says it's like Groove Shark. There's one on here that says it's like Medium. That's Plume. Mm. That might be the one you're talking about with the extended uh, character count. Right. There's one that replicates yeah. Reddit. There's one that replicates 500 pixels. And like I went through and looked at them the other day. And most of them are mm-hmm. early development. They don't even have a, you have to build it yourself kind of thing. Right, right. But the way that most of them are described is it's an activity f- 
pub fediverse version of xyz so that it can work with the federated world with stuff such as mastodon which makes me think that somehow they can integrate with each other right yeah that's the exactly what i was about to ask like say i'm a mastodon user and I want to follow somebody on, like, whatever their Instagram one was. Do I just suddenly start getting pictures in my feed? And if they follow me, do they suddenly start getting, like, text posts with content warnings in their picture? So what I'm thing? guessing would happen is ActivityPub must have some sort of base level standard, like like RSS and then yeah. you could have an Atom 1 or an Atom 2 feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is. I think, I'm not sure if, if GNU Social was the first, but I think that precedes Mastodon. Which one? The GNU Social. Oh, right. Yeah, I have seen that name, but that's not in this list. Yeah. I think that's a very similar thing to Mastodon, but I think it's actually earlier okay. than Mastodon and was one of the first ActivityPub systems. Yeah, maybe that was developing a lot of the ActivityPub spec and then mastodon layered on what i would guess are mastodon things are things like the content warnings and the 500 character count limit and different things like that right so i would guess that if you're federating with the server running one of these other ones Mm. there's a like you're only looking at the pieces that are shared in in the same way that rss Mm. works if if i have a feed reader that's can read you know, Adam, what is it, Adam 1 feeds, it's going to ignore the features of, like, Adam 2. Right. And vice right, versa. Right. But, like, there's some backwards compatibility, but your mileage will vary on what actually kind of comes across. This is all me conjecturing here, but yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. It's hard to say because there doesn't seem to be a lot of these around yet. Yeah. Oh, there's also PeerTube, which is... <laughs> Attempting to do a similar thing with YouTube, but I can't imagine that's that's a lot harder because the yeah storing videos is is a harder problem than storing five hundred character text yeah. snippets. I, something tells me you're not going to be able to spin up a PeerTube server for five dollars a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So real time follow up. Uh, GNU Social actually uses O status, not activity. Okay, so I've seen I, that word thrown around too. I think maybe they they might have added activity pub support at some point for for interoperation purposes, but it's not one of the early activity pub things. That's gotcha. Anyway, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting and fertile space. I think, especially if you can start to get more of these sorts of services built on it. Yeah, if you could normalize these concepts. Right, right. Yeah, it's not as if the end thing that takes over needs to be mastered on. But the big thing that I like the idea of, really, is the notion that uh, there is some competition and some movement, right? So that... Because so far, like, we were all on MySpace and then everyone moved to Facebook and then everyone joined Twitter and now everyone's quitting Facebook. And you kind of have these big migrations that have to happen. And they all have to happen at the same time. Because unless you get a certain critical mass, you can't do it. Yeah, and they're getting more and more expensive. Right, right. And with a, with a system built on top of ActivityPub or something like that, uh, it lowers the cost of moving, which is great for customers. So maybe not so... I mean, it's a kind of a disincentive for companies yeah, that want locking right. right um so i don't quite know how you square that circle but that's that's one of the big appealing factors of the kind of federated idea to me yeah it's kind of like i mean it's like 
the web, uh, right? Like, right. as things became more browser-based, you can start putting everything into the browser means that the companies that control the OSs don't control the world the same way that they did. And once we broke out of IE being the only real major browser, that even mm. broke that further. Right. But that could only happen because that was an open standard. Back in the early days of the internet uh, with AOL and CompuServe and all these walled garden ISPs, it was not at all obvious that the World Wide Web would take over in the way that it has. I'm not sure if you, at which point you, you got the internet, but when we first got it, we, we did an AOL trial for a bit. And then we, we were on CompuServe for quite a while. And a lot of the stuff that I used to use in the early days was not on the World Wide Web. It was through the the ISP-specific interface and just disappeared when those when that sort of model faded away and, and web browsers became the, the primary point of entry to the internet. By happenstance, we lived in an area that had like a business class broadband connection. Wow. And my dad worked for a consulting company that his friend had started. And so mm. they used our house to host some servers for some clients. <laughs> so because of that, we got uh, broadband. Like, I think we had dial-up, you know, before that, but I don't remember that. Mm. To me, dial-up is a thing mm. that I had to use whenever I was at a friend's house and we wanted to look up, you know, cheat codes for a Super Nintendo game or something. Right. But at my house we never had we never had dial up. Oh, okay. And so and and your broadband connection then was not to one of these services. Yeah, I never had like when I saw the commercials saying to type whatever into a keyword in AOL, mm-hmm. like that was a foreign concept to me. Right. I think eventually they did create an AOL homepage that was uh just on the web that let you do that. But yeah. you know, for me, yeah, at least as early as I can remember, it was always a browser you go to you go to yahoo and <laughs> you go to their inda or their uh uh what was that called if you weren't searching you were just going in the tree that a directory directory that's the word and yeah. usually like i remember i didn't i resisted google for a while just because i knew the search that i needed to do to find a certain site in yahoo mm-hmm. or i mm-hmm. knew the path to get there and I couldn't, right. you know, I couldn't figure out how to get to it with Google. It wasn't until I realized right. you can just type what you're thinking that that kind of switched <laughs> over. <laughs> right. And that became more and more the case as Google got better. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when Google first started, there were already a few search engines that worked on the basis of, you know, just having a box that you typed into that were, you know, Yahoo was very much the directory model, but things like AltaVista right. and Lycos and things like that, um, you, you know, they were based on a, a search box and they were all kind of the same. But the, the differentiating factor for Google that I remember was less the sort of natural language inference and the being able to find exactly what you really meant by what you searched for. Um, and more just the minimalism of the page. Like as the other search engines were becoming more and more cluttered, the very early Google homepage, much as it is now, in fact, was just the Google logo and a box with a search button and that was it i'm feeling lucky yeah and the i'm feeling lucky um which i never never i never felt lucky enough (laughs) i don't think it was meant to uh be used i think it was meant to show off their quirkiness 
um, and to show off the the strength of their search results. Yeah, right? that was probably the, really the what confidence it's for. saying you don't even need to look at the search results because our first result will be the thing that you wanted anyway. Right? That was an extremely daring thing to say in like whenever it was. <laughs> that was before you. Uh, that was when their ads were on the side before the first result was paid for. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, and in the end. The World Wide Web and the Open Web kind of won, kind of beat the the closed garden AOL CompuServe worlds. Even though at the time, I think in some ways the the AOL CompuServe worlds were a bit better. Like the the interface looked much nicer from what I remember. Like compared to like Mosaic and early Netscape HTML rendering, uh, the interfaces that they could make in the little CompuServe app, you know, were, were nice and appealing. Yeah, kind of like um, a Flash. Right, right. That's another example where a sort of an open uh, standard eventually beat the the closed. I mean, contender. I think another example of this that's happening even now is is the uh, mobile. Like, there was, a, there was a world not too long ago where if you wanted to be on a phone, you needed an app. And... Uh, it must have been it was probably three or four years ago now. I remember The Verge doing a big article saying we're getting rid of our app because the mobile web is good enough now that that's mm. that's really where it makes the most sense. Right. And I think like apps on native apps on mobile are important, but they're increasingly important for like a utility or something where it makes sense to have it natively on that phone in that phone's way of rendering it right but more and more the browser is just totally fine they i mean they 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 fill they've each found their own purpose now in a way that i think they they took a little while jostling for place and famously facebook went back and forth between yeah yeah you know an app and a web thing and that's a good point an app that was just a web thing and then back <laughs> to a native app like that you know they've done they've done a lot of different things none of them good <laughs> <laughs> this is not an indictment on them as a company. Uh, this is an <laughs> indictment on their design of their app. It is just terrible. I will make no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I think we are at the stage now where the mobile web is very functional and very useful and very usable. And and so are native apps, you know, and they just have their own things that they are good at. Um, and so you can make a sensible decision about which to use. I am not really sure how to wrap this up, but I think we strayed far from Mastodon and it must be getting close to midnight for you. Uh, it's getting there, yeah. So I guess there's two things I'd, I'd like to talk about then before we wrap up, if that's okay. Okay. So the first thing is the instance thing. Uh, you know, we've touched on it a lot, but this idea of which instance should you choose, mm -hmm. that is something that has been bothering me because... And, and I feel like this is a problem with the platform generally, but maybe it's just affecting me. Okay. But do you have this feeling of like, you want to join a different instance, but then you also want to stay on like the most popular main instance? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. And I sort of also think about starting my own instance that would just have me on it, but that people could then follow that version of me, but then right. I wouldn't have a local timeline anymore and stuff like that. Well, yeah. and like, there's a whole bunch of problems that I feel like they have to deal with. Mm. in order to make that worth it because right now like if i click on somebody's profile in mm. any app 
or even in the main web app, I think, I only see the people that that person follows or the people that Mm -hmm. follow that person that are on the same Mm -hmm. instance as me. Right. Unless I go to this special, like, extra profile page that then gives me the bigger list. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know about you, but that's a large way that I find people is... Like, finding a person and then following them. And then, like, they'll retweet people that they know or whatever. But sometimes I'll just kind of... Right. Like, whenever I first jumped over, I'll just kind of peruse their... Uh, the people they follow. Right. If their interests seem to align with mine. And, like, I've kind of filled up my feed that way. But I've noticed almost everybody that I follow is on Mastodon.social because that's all I see. Oh, really? So, I didn't realize that. So, that's that's what that shows you. Is it just the people who they follow who are on the same instance? That's a peculiar choice it's it's a technical problem because there is a solution where you can click deeper in like they you have a public profile page Mm -hmm. and on that public profile page you can see all of their follows and followers in like a different view right but right you won't see that in your normal browsing or in any app at least i don't know i think it's just not accessible by the api hmm yeah, that's weird. I don't I don't really know why that would be because presumably everyone they follow is associated with their account somehow. So Yeah. I mean that almost sounds like a bug. It I would think that except that there is an explicit answer for it. Oh. That's what that public like page is for. Like, oh, you can see that by going to here. Oh, I see. Yeah. And and maybe that's something that will be dealt with. You know, I haven't gone through their like GitHub issue logs or anything, but it makes me not want to go to a not populated feed. Because mm-hmm. it's not like I'm trying to build a brand, but this idea that like you're way less visible to people is kind of frustrating. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I know what you mean. And the yeah. fact that I won't see as many people in those lists. Right. I would only like see myself. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That I would find more annoying because I also browse other people's sort of followers and people that they're following as a way to discover new people. Especially in this early stage where, you know, we're still kind of building up a collection of people that we follow, right? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like slowing down my Twitter follow list <laughs> and increasing this one. I'm not trying to like leave Twitter. I'm just finding naturally right. I'm enjoying Mastodon more right now. And so right. it's kind of a natural balance Yeah, since I'm a completionist. Yeah. I mean, I think that the big thing that, that prevents me from wanting to jump on another instance is the migration story. Partly migration and partly I, I kind of like a notion of linked accounts. So migration is the first thing. I think they do need to make it easier to move from one instance to another, right? And actually move and say, automatically just fill in a thing and have it make your new account, transfer, you know, follow it, all your people that you're following on a new account, automatically have you be followed by all of them and maybe even like mirror your toots or something. Yeah, I think the first part of that is the case. You can export right. your account and then import it, but all that does is makes you follow all of them. You, but it's a it's a very manual process, right? You have to export your account, you have to re-import it, and then they will all get notifications and they can choose to follow you back right. on your new account. I can see the argument for having them have to manually choose to re-follow you, and maybe I can go along with that. But even this thing of having to export and re-import your followers, like that feels annoyingly manual. Yeah, that is yes. a thing that could be automated, right? So there's that. But I also, I'd really like to be able to have like a linked account where I have an account on Macedon.social 
and I have an account on like Toot Cafe or Game Dev Place or somewhere like that. And uh, I somehow link these accounts. And it's not the same as like, because some people have made scripts where they can, like, they'll automatically post literally mirror to them this account and that account and to Twitter and, and all of that. But I want it to be a more, a thing that is understood by the whole system where you can follow any one of my accounts on any of these instances, or you could even follow multiple of them if somehow that ends up happening. And you will see all of my toots once. So you don't see repeats. Yeah. And you don't have to select which one you're going to follow. And in the same way, I would like to be able to post to my one unified account and have it appear for everyone. And I would like a version of the local timeline, which is, I guess this is even more complicated because it's (laughs) introducing another layer between the local and the federated. But I would like the set union of the local timelines of all of my linked accounts, right? So I have an account on Mastodon Social and one on Toot Cafe. I would like to be able to see a a feed which has all of the toots from both of those instances. And this this all feels like a real thing that could be... It feels like a lot of work, but it feels like something that could fit into the framework and the system and the way that it all works. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if it would involve a lot of filtering on the client side, but... Yeah, because you could do almost all of that in an app right right like you could so long as there was the notion of the linked accounts right you need some way to know that these two accounts are supposed to be mirroring each other well but in the app you could specify that you could log into both and then have them merged the only thing is if you everyone following them also needs to know right that's the thing if if you toot then both of those accounts are going to send it out and you don't want somebody if they're following both although i could imagine a community where it's just understood that you only need to follow one of them. Yeah. And then they're mirrored. And then, you know, theoretically, you could you could have an app that lets you sign into multiple. And then whenever you toot, you could pick which ones you want it to send to. So if it's like very, you know, gaming specific. Right. You could say, you know what? This one should only go to the gaming uh, timeline. Although... If that right. was the case, then... again, this is introducing another level of like we've already <laughs> yeah. got four levels of of privacy. Whenever you, I'm fine with weird complexity at the app level because there can right. be lots of those, and that's where experimentation can happen. But there needs to be something right. for an entry level person to download, and it just like makes sense, and that doesn't really exist right now. Yeah, I think that would be that would also kind of solve the migration story because you would no longer need to migrate. You just create a new account and link it with your old account. And and you're done, right? Yeah. Because also, yeah, linked accounts, would they have one unified follower list? It, they wouldn't through this method. Right. Like if, through the building an app that kind of hacks the notion of linked accounts on top of the... Uh, the way, actually, what we're talking about is almost like what forwarding and emailing is like. It's sort of a hack that is kind of behind the scenes for people who use it. Mm. But like... I could get, you know, you can have an email, you can have my uh, personal email and you can send it to me and I could move emails, but you might never have to care about that. Now I would have to, or I would have to have an app that's smart enough to kind of combine all of my email together so that Mm. if you send it to me and I reply, I'm replying from the right thing, you know? Right. But this is a thing that there is a whole cottage industry of ways to deal with. Right. With email. Yes. But a normal person doesn't have to have that. 
I think if they could find a way to make it integrated into this, like at the Activity Pub or Mastodon people or whoever can find a way to have it integrated without adding too much complexity to the base system, then you would not need a cottage industry of email clients, which each deal with forwarding and postponing and tagging and everything else in, in different ways. <laughs> if there's anything know? we've learned from uh, listening to Cortex, it's that there is no good email app. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I I think that would be a nice feature. I you know I can kind of understand that it adds a lot of complexity to an already complex system. So I can see why they'd be kind of reticent to jump on it. But I think that would make a big difference and it would kill a lot of birds with with one stone <laughs> because it would it would answer the migration question as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think anything they could do to kill because I've seen lots of people say this and I've certainly felt it very strongly this like mm. uh, sort of like anxiousness about like especially when I started yeah there's a real anxiety like that is a that is the exact word of how people feel right before they join they're like well which instance should I join because it feels so important and after they join they're like wringing their hands about whether they could should switch instances and then half the toots that you see in your feed are people saying hey i've switched yeah this is my new account and you get that jealousy of like i want to do that partly that feels like something that will settle down but yeah i think that is one of the the major areas that that could use some improvement and hopefully will will get a bit smoother over time right because how many people are so binary in their identity that there's one community that they feel like they're so part of that they can just have one account there and that's their entire existence on a social platform well i mean i suppose the idea is that the communities are all linked so you know most people only have one twitter account as well yeah but but like like i have one reddit account but i'm part of lots of different subreddits that are separate communities right so it's like it's weird to me like do i join the developer a developer instance or do i join like a film instance and it's like you can only really choose one and that's like a hard thing to reconcile in your brain yeah if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it only matters to the extent that which community you are, your account is associated with. I mean, with Reddit, your account is global and then it joins multiple communities. Whereas with Mastodon, your account is associated with a specific community. And when you are interacting with others, you are, you're sort of interacting with them from the outside, as it were. Right. Um, which is an, a natural consequence of the fact that it's a federated system. But yeah, you 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 want to sort of blur those lines as much as you can, I think. Yeah. So the last thing before we wrap up, and we've sort of touched uh-huh. on this, but I just kind of want to, uh, an idea from you, is like, what does success with Mastodon look like? Like, is the goal here that it becomes mainstream? Or is it supposed to just kind of stay this, like, like Usenet's, back in the day where it's like (laughs) it's kind of a thing that had a culture and then you know maybe it's still around now but it it never grew to be a mainstream thing uh yeah i suppose i don't know it's difficult to say like usenet still exists uh irc still exists and in some communities is still a very big thing right like in the open source community uh a lot of projects use irc as their main vehicle for communication that's true but the vast majority of users of the internet probably don't even know what irc is at this point and those that do kind of 
by and large think it's an, an old-fashioned outdated thing that nobody uses and that community is fine with that yeah yeah like yeah. because it, it gives them like and it is a much better platform for their purposes than something like slack for example right. um so you know maybe something like that will form out of mastodon uh for my part i want it to be fun and interesting to engage with and in order for that to happen it needs to have enough people that have similar interests to me there that i can follow at the moment it has some particularly the tech yeah there is like one subsection of my twitter that is pretty well moved over right of uh, yeah yeah exactly yeah like i have a lot of people from tech twitter that are on Mastodon, and thankfully they are mostly anti-cross-posting as well, so they post different things. To oh, I've got a lot of cross-posters. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's annoying. But then I have no classics people. So on, on Twitter, I follow quite a lot of people who are you know studying ancient Greek and Latin and posting interesting things about that uh, and quotations from famous literature and things like that. I... I have like no none of those people are on Mastodon, right? And in its current form, not anytime soon, right? But you you could easily see such an instance appearing, right? Absolutely, if it became popular, then you could have a classics instance, and they would tend to group there, and just following that instance would be interesting. Um, so I don't know. I don't really care one way or the other whether it takes over from Twitter or whether it becomes mainstream or whether people start putting Mastodon links in there news reels like in the in the yeah. trial at the bottom of the news thing or whether the president of the united states uses it as his primary foreign affairs vehicle i don't really care i'd rather that than that <laughs> but <laughs> i i take a very selfish approach which is that so long as i am intrigued and entertained then that suits me yeah i i guess that's the same the same feeling i have it's but to me because there's a large section of Twitter that I enjoy that it would need to be mainstream for them to be there. Yeah. 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 There, there, there's like a, a sort of barrier there. Yeah. And I am concerns the wrong word. Cause it's not like I'm up at night worrying about this, but I'm curious how they're going to deal with what to me is the biggest problem, even bigger than accessibility and like it being easy to get started is like, I don't understand how this thing scales. Like what does this place look like? when right. it can't be funded by, you know, Patreon, basically. Right. And none of us does understand that, right? Like, that is kind of part of the fun of it. That's true. <laughs> none of us understood how Twitter would scale either. And have, I don't think they? any of us would have, would have predicted this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think that that is kind of part of the fun. But Twitter had uh, venture capitalist money. Mm-hmm. Like, it's easy for me to imagine almost anything succeeding for about six or seven years because you can spend a lot of money before you figure something out. Right, right. And and by that point, then you can monetize in a different way. Mastodon is not going to have that luxury. I don't think so, unless there's something I'm missing. It's been around for a couple of years already. But, well, but it hasn't. Um, but I'm saying it can't. Uh, that, I guess that's a good point. It can scale very slowly. It also has that luxury. Yeah. And and maybe that's okay. Right. Whereas Twitter yeah. didn't because it, it needed to grab all those users as fast as it could to right. keep getting the venture right. capital. We're, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. I'm not sort of holding up hopes that it is going to be the next big thing or take over from Twitter. And unlike, it seems, a certain subset of the recent influx of people to Mastodon, of whom I am one, I'm not going there to try and escape Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I, I quite like Twitter. Uh, you know, that it has its issues, but I still enjoy Twitter for what it is. And I still get something out of Twitter that I don't get out of Mastodon. So, you know, I, I like Twitter. I'm not trying to escape Twitter. But Mastodon is an intriguing, interesting and, and exciting new space. So I'm enjoying exploring it and seeing what we all as the sort of early users who are going to help to define this thing can make of it. So that's that's kind of the big appeal for me. Yeah, I, I think I I reflect those exact same sentiments. I think with Mastodon, I'm a small fish in a small pond. Mm. And in Twitter, given how late I sort of, you know, I joined late, but I I contributed to Twitter even later than that. And so right. on Mastodon, especially because of the way the local timeline works, if I post something, I usually get a response from people. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Whereas on Twitter... I have to have a very uh, snarky, jokey thing or be responding to somebody <laughs> who then happens to reply back in order for it right. to get any sort of interest. And that's fine. It never right. bothered me on Twitter. I was never trying to like mm-hmm. get engagement or anything. But it is mm-hmm. a very nice feeling on Mastodon when you say something and then a bunch of random people pop in and they're like, oh, yeah, I think that too. Or, oh, did you think about this? Right, right. So yeah. It, yeah, it gives me something yep. different and... I definitely enjoy that. And a lot of the things I like about Mastodon will go away if it becomes huge. The one thing that won't is third-party clients. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The fact that Mastodon has these different instances may uh, hold at bay the, the problems of becoming really large because you could choose to remain on a small, uh, somewhat isolated instance that still feels, you know, small and local and uh, intimate uh, even after you know, Mastodon becomes hugely popular. I'm just like, uh, I know, I'm sorry, I'm not trying, we don't have to get through the weeds in this, but like, what I keep thinking is, yes, you could have an instance that has 20 people on it, or I could have my own personal instance, mm. right? And Mastodon has, you know, 60 billion people or something. Right. But if one person has one toot that goes viral, like, what is that going to do to that instance? You know what I mean? right yeah does that just knock the whole thing out like but maybe behind the scenes there's some sort of well i can't i can't imagine how that would work it feels like the cost of owning your own server is going to go up yeah i think instances can kind of suffer from a a sort of yeah like there is a bit of a denial of service uh feeling both in terms of like technically like mastodon.social stopped accepting new users for a little while because the service were getting uh you know, hammered hard by all the new users, and uh, but also in terms of moderator workload, um, we definitely don't have time to talk about Will Wheaton. Yeah, but yeah. A thing happened with Will Wheaton, dear listener. You will have to look it up yourself. Uh, the the instance that Will Wheaton was on, the the moderator of that instance received a huge influx of complaints, and he was just one guy and couldn't deal with the volume of them. So that's a very real problem that Twitter hires whole groups of people to try and deal with and and owners of small instances can't really 
compete with. Yeah, I think they said that it was 60 complaints overnight. Right, right, which doesn't sound like many, but... And I can understand why that would be overwhelming, but yeah, it's like that's such a small bucket compared to Twitter. in, In Twitter terms, that is, yeah. Let us wrap it up. Yes, yes. Uh... Thank you very much. Yeah, this was this was fun. Um, I don't envy your job editing it. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut off your feed early so that it has the normal just hard cut. But uh, <laughs> on ours, we like to have overly long extended calls to action that are in no way effective. So where can people find your podcast? Okay, so we can leave it in. It's a crossover episode, whatever. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, people can find our podcast on station13.fm or through the usual search boxes on the podcast app of choice uh we also have a reddit which is r slash station 13 and we have a twitter at station 13 fm and a mastodon at station 13 at bots in dot space <laughs> just rolls off the tongue it's just yeah just rolls off the tongue so that's us and, uh, how about you and you can find our podcast a town fm at atownfm.com and all the different things are there great Okay, speak to you soon. Or probably not, but I'll yeah, listen to you I'll soon. I'll listen, yeah. <laughs> we have a weird relationship. <laughs> we'll hear each other, but right. <laughs> we can only respond over uh, Reddit and uh, Slack. <laughs> I don't quite know what it is about about A-Town FM specifically, but I found myself like screaming internally half the time that I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) So your experience is the same as my experience editing it then. (laughs) I was just listening to um, your, as we record, I think we're going to be putting this episode out like a few weeks from now. So this is probably going to be, and you, you release every week somehow. I don't know how you... You managed to, uh, to to do that well. Well, yeah. Now it's uh, it's every other week with that movie podcast on the in between weeks. Oh, I see. But okay. yeah, and so you, you'll probably have released a few more episodes by the time this goes out. But as we record, your last episode dropped like five hours ago. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was like three or four hours ago. Well, it gave me enough time to uh, to listen to before we got to recording and and refresh my memory. Uh oh. And then <laughs> you ended up, what did you talk about? You talked about... Um, well, I, I know we hit on language. <laughs> the, the water towers and the language stuff. Um, so it was like a sort of best of <laughs> A-Town. Because you had, you had the water towers, which has been an A-Town theme for a long time. A staple. It's what everybody comes for, really. A staple. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then you hit on all the language stuff. And that was a, that was a, a classic... Uh, Dan Litz <laughs> <laughs> very confidently saying things off the tip of his tongue <laughs> he did back down at the end it, <laughs> I uh, for, for a little while I was trying to get the Dan was wrong hashtag going um, he's not always wrong I think <laughs> sometimes I find myself disagreeing with you as well but I always find myself disagreeing with one of you <laughs> <laughs> In a way that is somehow extremely entertaining. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you call this entertaining. That's what I'm taking out of that. 